I want you to imagine um, that it's after church, you're in the foyer or you're sat over Sunday lunch chatting to friends or family members and you start to do the review of the service. Do you find yourself ever doing that? I would be honest, I find myself doing that. And you find yourself saying things like, I didn't like those songs that Claire picked this morning. <laughs> what on earth was she on about you know, picking those songs? They just didn't do anything for me. I didn't relate to them. Or you might find yourself coming and say, well, all we did this morning was sing. How can I encounter God when all we do is sing? Or you might say the flip side. We only sung four songs this morning. I need at least 20 minutes to get into that place of worship and adoration of Jesus. Many of you will know that that for me and Claire, our background has been as worship leaders. Um, Before I became um, a minister, I worked for for 10 years part-time at Hazel Grove Baptist Church as as a worship leader. And then more recently down in in Bristol, in an Anglican church down there, as worship leader and music director. And I guess that sort of background in music and thinking deeply about worship has meant that I've started to to sort of consider this quite on a a deep level. What is worship all about? What does it mean to come this morning and say, I am a worshipper of the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean? If you're anything over 40 years old, and I'm not asking you to put your hands in the air, and you've been in church for that period of time, you will have noticed there has been a massive shift in how we corporately worship together. You know, the effects of the charismatic movement on songs, on, on experiencing God in our times together has, has been massive. And it's brought changes with it, it's brought good stuff, but it's brought challenges. It's brought challenges with it. This word that we use, this word that's on the screen that says worship, it's an old English word. It simply means to give something worth. And we use it to cover several different Greek and Hebrew words that we find in the Bible. Now, if I'm to ask you this morning, you can answer this if you want, what is worship? Bless you. What is worship? Can I have a one-word answer from anybody? Life? That's a really good answer. Surrender? Honour, praise, praise, serenity, adoration. adoration. All these things are great, aren't they? What do we actually use that word to mean? Singing. Singing. (laughs) That is sometimes what we distill it down into, isn't it? When we think about worship in the setting of church, we distill it down and we say, actually, worship involves sung worship. Now, what we're doing this morning when we sing is worship. Don't hear me wrong in any way, shape or form. But that is not an adequate explanation of what worship is about. That isn't it. That is not an adequate explanation. Over the next three Sundays, we're going to be unpacking a little bit more about what worship is all about, but what the Bible has to say. And this week, we're looking at something that I think is so obvious and so pivotal that often we forget to state it. And that it's simply this. Worship is about God. It's not about me and my song preferences. It's not about some kind of experience. But primarily... Worship is about God. So before we can say anything else about what worship entails, we need to establish that it's about God, it's for God, it has its origins in God, and it's all to do with him, not about me. So that's where we're starting today. Next week we'll be moving on to look at worship as imitation. If somebody said worship was life, you know it is. It's about how we live, it's about how we use our money, it's about how we relate to one another, it's all that everything is worship. And then on the third week, we'll be looking at, right, actually, what do we do when we come together to worship? And worship being adoration. 
So we're going to be old school this morning. You got a handout as you came in. Hope it doesn't feel like you're at school. Um, but I just felt, because we've got so many different Bible readings we're going to be looking at this morning, it'd be good if you could have that in front of you. Do take it home, read them, chew over them, digest them at your leisure. Can I pray for us again? And then we'll, we'll have a look through some of these passages of Scripture. Let's pray. Father God, we come this morning and we come with a desire in our hearts to be worshippers, to understand what it means to honour you, to adore you, to live for you. Lord, we're just amazed by who you are. I just want to pray that this morning, wherever we're at today, that we may leave this place just having captured a glimpse of something of who you are, of your very character and your very nature. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Possibly the biggest question we can ever ask is who is God? Who is God? It's a question that millions, billions of people have asked over the centuries. And if we answer that question and then look at what we do together, there's another question. Do our lives, do our songs, do our services, does our prayer, does our our messages, does our sharing of the gospel adequately fit in with our understanding of who God is? Do those two things actually sync together? I was going to read a a quote from from an author called Justin Buzzard, who wrote a book talking about the very character of God. He says this, Ever since God made us in his image, we've been returning the favour. We've been making every attempt to recreate God in our image. We've been operating with false ideas of who God is and what he's like. We need to return to scripture to see what God says about himself, to get a true picture of what he is really like. What is God really like? So we're going to look at four characteristics of God. Now there's loads of different things I could have picked this morning. This is not exhaustive. We haven't looked at God as love or God of compassion or mercy. It's all kinds of things. So these are just four things on the handout that we're going to look at this morning. So if you look at the first readings, talking about God as creator... Genesis 1, just the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. Then John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. First thing we have to say about God is God is the creator. What we see... Everything, you know, look around you, look at all the people in the room, look out the windows, look at the sun and the, the trees and the earth and everything we see originates in God himself. You know, when Genesis was written, the, the ancient world believed in all kinds of myths and legends about God's fighting and that's how the world came into being. People have got a bit more sort of interesting ideas by the time you get to the, the writing of, of um, John 1 and people were thinking that actually... There were philosophies and different reasons why people came to think the world was created. You look today at what science would argue and it says, it's all a big accident. You know, if the accidents in my life created such beauty and um, unity as the earth has, it'd be amazing, but it doesn't, does it? It's not an adequate explanation. And the Bible says something totally different. Everything we see, everything there is, everything there has been, originates in God originates in God himself. 
But you don't have to go far into the book of Genesis before things start to go horribly wrong, do you? You look at Genesis 3. If you know the, the accounts of the, the early part of the Bible, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve go their own way. They fall into temptation. They don't do things God's way, but they go their own way. And in the middle of that chapter, if you look on your handout, there's a, some verses. Verses 8 and 9, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? That comes in the midst of a horrendous chapter. Of a horrendous chapter of human fall and human sin. There's an incredible, beautiful verse in that passage. Look at verse 8. We find the Lord walking in the garden, looking for Adam and Eve. That is God's plan for his creation. That he walks with us in relationship, seeking to know us. And that image there, I think it today, it points us back to what has been, but it points us forward to God's plans for us in the future. Here is God seeking relationship, that worshipping relationship that God wants us to have with him. If God has created us for relationship with himself. Augustine of Hippo in the 4th century said this, he said, God, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. I wonder this morning, are you restless? Do you feel restless today? Do you feel that your heart is unsettled? Do you feel that your heart hasn't found is rest in God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. It's easy to be restless. It's easy to be distracted. You know, we can be so distracted by our work, by our friends, by holidays, by goodness knows what else. And we forget that God calls us to find rest in himself. Psalm 46, verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. Just wonder this morning, do you need to find your stillness in God? Your rest, your security. Sorry, my voice is still going. If that happens, just pause. Hold on one second. This is what relationship is all about, isn't it? (laughs) Thank you for that. I will keep going. If my voice keeps going, do not worry. It happens from time to time. Do you find rest? In God. But why did God make us? Have you ever wondered that? Why did God actually create us in the first place? Well, over the bank holiday weekend, um, me and our boys had this idea, and I think Claire sort of looked on us thinking, are you really going to do that? Because the idea was that we were going to put a pond into the man's garden. With, there was one of the flower beds that got really overgrown, and it was full of all these sort of half-dead trees, things that um, needed rooting out, things that needed to be destroyed. And we started work and we got all messy and I literally sort of, I must have lost half a stone, you know, sort of digging all this stuff out. Would you like to see the finished results? Here we go, look at that. It's amazing, isn't it? Two ponds, a stream, and a mini waterfall. I will take orders, you know, if you're one of those in your garden. (laughs) But my fees are absolutely exorbitant, so you might not want to take me up on it. But you see, there were several things going on in our desire to make that pond. One was a desire for me to have a relationship with my two boys, 
They desperately wanted to build that. Desperately. They kept going on and on and on about it. Dad, when are we going to build the pond? When are we going to get the chance to create this thing together? The other thing was, I think, a desire that comes within all of us to create order out of chaos. Who lives in a mess? I do. Claire doesn't. I do. My desk is full of piles of paper and bits of clutter. But do you actually like the mess, or do you actually want to tidy it up and create order? Who enjoys mess? Mark does. And mandolin playing as well, we found out this morning. But most of us, we we want to bring order out of chaos. We want to see things move to a better place than they are at the moment. We want to see the stuff that was chaotic brought into line and to create something out of it. And you know, God made us in his own image, didn't he? We are made in God's image. That desire that was in us for relationship and for bringing order out of chaos, I think actually mirrors what the heart of God is like. Yes, it's fallen. Yes, it's not exactly like God is. But you know, God made us like that. And God created us to share. He created us for relationship. Because that is what he is like. Why did he make us? Because he wanted to share the beauty of himself with us. He created us for relationship. And so worship starts with relationship. Relationship with the God who is creator of everything, but also the creator of that relationship with him. So God is creator. God is also saviour. The God who created us for a relationship with himself. The God who made everything is heartbroken. God is heartbroken over humanity's rebellion, over our sin, over the way that we don't go his way. God's heart breaks for us. I sometimes wonder if if we overlook that. That we can think, actually, if we go our own way, that it's somehow, somehow like it's a tick list. And we, we've done the wrong thing, and we, we just cross it off and say, oh, well, never mind, I, I did something wrong. But actually, God's heart breaks. We were on holiday over the summer. And we were in uh, Mid Wales, down near Cardigan. And while we were down there, we took the, our dog with us. And if, you've, if you have a dog, you know the dilemma of taking dogs to the seaside. There's so many beaches, you only allowed your dog on a certain part of the beach. And you, you sort of have to make sure you obey the rules, otherwise you get a hefty fine. Every beach that we went onto, and I don't know whether this is just the, the thing in mid-Wales, I don't know if it's just coincidence, but you got to the sign onto the beach, and it said, for all those who have dogs, turn right. Every beach was the same. If you don't have a dog, turn left. It's like the sheep and the goats, but, you know, with dogs and no dogs. So you get to that point, and you have to decide, am I going to go to the place where I can take my dog onto the beach? Now, if you don't do that, yes, there are consequences. You may be fined up to a £1,000. But does it break the hearts of the officials in Aberystwyth Town Hall who made that rule? I'm not thinking it would do. I don't think if I walked my dog on the wrong side of the beach, there'd be people there who would be heartbroken over my rebellion. God is not like an official in Aberystwyth Town Hall. God did not give us... um, himself and relationship, for us to to think of um, that relationship in those kind of terms. That's an abstract ruling, isn't it? When you say, if you do this, this will happen. It's a consequence. But you're not offending the person. You know, when we fail God, when we turn our backs on him, when we do what Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3, it's not abstract. 
but it breaks the very heart of God himself. Matthew 23, verse 37. It's not on your sheet, but I'm just going to read this. This is Jesus saying, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. The image of God longing to gather us together, longing to nurture us and to father us and to care for us, yet we're not willing. We break God's heart. You know, that isn't the end of the story, is it? God comes and he restores relationships through sending his son, Jesus. You just look under the, the next heading of the Mark 15 reading. I'm just going to read one little bit of verse 24 where it simply says, they crucified him. If you want proof this morning that God loves you, that's it. That's it. He gave his only son, He gave Jesus, who died for the sins of the world. He took all that rebellion on himself and died at Calvary. The cross, more than anything, proves God's desire to restore the relationship that was broken. To get back, actually not get back, but get to something better than Genesis 3. To get to the point of the new creation when all is all with Jesus. The new covenant, the once for all sacrifice of Jesus demonstrates God's love. Look at Colossians 2, verse 13, just underneath. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. We're made alive. We have that relationship restored. We're forgiven. Does that excite you this morning? Does it excite you that God has called you back into relationship? It's not an abstract thing. It's not just that you've had a list of things that you've done wrong ticked off. But that God's broken heart has been mended. Because he's called us back home. When we return to him, what does it say? There is rejoicing in heaven when a sinner repents. There is a party going on. There is rejoicing in God's heart when we turn back to him. The next thing I think we need to say about God is that he's holy. We started our service this morning by reading the Isaiah reading, so I'm not going to read all of that again. But God has created us back into a relationship, brought us back through through Jesus Christ. And he now calls us to live his way. To call us to live in a way that honours him, the way that is the best way for us and the way that he wants us to live. And the call for the worshipper is to grow to be like Christ. We're going to be touching on this um, next week. Isaiah 6, look at verse 3. We said these words earlier, didn't we? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Three times holy God. Holy, holy, holy. Look at Isaiah's response. I wonder what we think we'd do if we had an, an amazing experience of God. I wonder what we think we'd do. do. Do we think we'd join in? What does Isaiah do? Does he say, oh, I don't know this one, but I'll give it a go. Let, let's have a go at singing this song that the seraphim are singing. No, he doesn't. He doesn't try and join in. He does something totally different. He realises in that moment when he encounters the holiness of God that he is not like God. He realises that he's sinful and he comes from a sinful people. And just as God's heart breaks over us, so Isaiah's heart at this point breaks over his sin. Just as God's heart breaks over our sin, so Isaiah's heart is broken 
over his sin and over his people's sin. When we fail God, does your heart break? Does it break over it? Are you in that Isaiah position where you're just thinking, you know, woe is me. I am undone because I'm in the presence of a holy God. Now we could read this and think, well, you know, we're forgiven through what Jesus has done. We don't need to do all this woe is me groveling stuff. We're not called to live in guilt and shame. We're free from it. You know, and I would say, yes, true, true and true. But if we desire to be like Jesus, if we want the Holy Spirit to transform us, we need to understand that God is holy. And that God calls us as his people to be holy. A number of us I know who were here this morning, last term, went on the marriage course, either sort of as a, as a couple or helping out. And hopefully we're running it again fairly soon. That's true, Deb, isn't it? Yeah, Deb's nodding at me. Um, if you're married and you haven't been on the marriage course, I would 100% recommend it to you. It is great. Um, but there's one story that, that Nikki Lee tells, and I'm paraphrasing because I didn't have a chance to, to look it up totally. And he, he was telling a story about a couple. And on their, their wedding day, they made their marriage vows to one another. And then somebody came and asked the husband a few years later, you do love your wife, don't you? And he said, well, I, yes, I do love my wife. And he said, well, do you tell her often? He said, well, I, I told her on a wedding day, and I'll tell her if the situation changes. <laughs> I sort of think, you know, I'm hoping for Rachel and Darren, that is not going to be their basis of their wedding as they're on their marriage as they're on their honeymoon. But in the scriptures, what we find time and time again is that the relationship between Christ and his church is described as the relationship between the bride and the bridegroom. That relationship that is intimate, that is close, there is a bond that is so tight there. You would hope, wouldn't we, that a couple would go on to just keep describing their love for one another. Yes through words and yes through deeds. So our relationship with the Lord is called to be the same. God the Saviour is the one who calls us to relationship with him. But relationship involves imitation. It involves this growth in holiness. Why is this important to mention today? Well, I don't know about you, but over the years, I found so often what happens is when I respond to God, and it can be through listening to an amazing sermon, it can be through hearing testimony, it can be through singing or through a prayer meeting that I've really felt God by His Spirit moving amongst us, I limit my response to something emotional. And just as I critique, mentioned about the critique of the service at the beginning, so I critique in a slightly different way. And I come out and say, wasn't that great this morning? Have you done that? No. That's, that's good to hear. <laughs> you come out and you say, wasn't that good this morning? Or wasn't that a great prayer meeting? Or didn't I feel uplifted by that singing today? But actually it stays there. It stays as an emotional response. A response to that's what God is doing, but not the digging deeper to see actually what is God going to do in my heart as a result of it. You know, if Isaiah had been content with the emotion, he would have joined in with the singing. He was interested in transformation. Worship, when we really acknowledge who God is, results in an exploration of the heart. When we acknowledge who God is, it results in us exploring the depths of our heart and desiring real transformation. Real transformation. Not just emotional things, but real transformation. It's great to experience God. It's great when we experience God's love. It's great when we experience God's power 
moving amongst us. But do you desire that the Holy Spirit does more than just at that level, but that it goes deeper and that we are transformed into the likeness of Christ? We're called to worship a holy God this morning. The holy God calls us to transformation. Not like a tick list, not like things we we sort of say, oh yes, 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 yes. But through the transformation of our innermost being, so that our reactions, our very character, imitates Jesus Christ. So God is holy. God is also bringing all things to completion. Now what we have now isn't all there will be. Look at those two verses on the, the sheet. Isaiah 43. Just think how long ago this was written. This is, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus came. And already God is putting this hope of something totally different into his people's hearts. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And then from the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. I'm guessing many of us over the summer have been on journeys. Perhaps you've been on holiday, or you've been to see friends or family, or perhaps it's just that exciting commute to work every day. But journeys of themselves can be problematic, can't they? Because you're sort of in transit from one place to another. Journeys of themselves are are not destinations. You know, our worshipping journey is not yet complete. Those two verses both speak about God making everything new. And that is the hope that we have, isn't it, today? That one day, Christ will be all in all. Worship is about relationship today. It's made possible by the cross. It continues as we imitate Christ and adore him. In this life... That is incredibly important. But worship actually ends up beyond transformation. Because we will become like Jesus. It says this in 1 John 3 verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, and this is incredible, we shall be like him. When Christ returns, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Ultimately, our worship will be about adoration. Honouring God. Praising him. Worshipping him. Seeing his character, his very nature, and falling at his feet in praise and adoration. But I want to leave us with a challenge this morning. We're sort of dipping our toe in and out of things a little bit. I know that today. But actually, it's about what we started off with. You know, worship is about God. It's not about me. There was a writer in the 11th century with the wonderful name of Bernard of Clairvaux. And he wrote a book that was all about loving God and encouraging his his readers to love God in a different way. And he always said he wants to encourage people to love God, to move from loving God for my sake to loving God for his sake. So, in in a sense, rather than loving God because of what we see God doing in the here and now, we move to a place where we can love God simply for who God is. Now, it's great to give God thanks, isn't it? It's great when we have answered prayer. 
It's great that we praise God. We were doing this a couple of weeks ago and Darren was going around with the mic and asking, you know, what do we want to thank God for? But if our praise of God is, is simply based on our experience in the here and now, the minute we go down a dip in life, the minute that things get tricky, what happens? Our worship starts to dry up. Our honouring of God becomes conditional. If we move to the place where actually we look at God and we say, that is who you are, that is what I believe the Bible reveals, then that worship will stand the test of time. It will stand the test when things are tough. It will stand the test when actually everything doesn't go as we'd hoped. It was great to sing and to celebrate what God is doing. But will we take that challenge to worship him regardless of what we see now? Because one day, everything will be made full in Christ. You know, worship starts with God, not with us. Just say that again. Worship starts with God, not with us. Take that home. Think about it. Think about how your life reflects that. It's my heart that as a church that our worship is centred around the very person, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that in the good times, yes, we celebrate. But in the bad times, we keep honouring. We keep worshipping. We keep saying, Jesus, you are still Lord. And all glory goes to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have called us into relationship. We thank you that by the cross we are forgiven. We thank you that all things are working together to that day when there will be no more crying and pain, when we will be with you in eternity. Lord, I want to pray for each of us here this morning that you will help us to worship you for who you are. Help us to think deeply on your character and your very nature. Lord, help our worship not to be fickle, but to be based, rooted in your character and your heart. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.